Good morning, everybody. It's Monday, November 13th, 8.34 in the morning, uh, and it's time for Monday Morningside, our student news, WKCR's news uh, morning broadcast. My name is Josh Casale. I'll be your host today. Hope you're all having a great morning. Um, we have a great show today, and I don't want to delay too much, but I do want to thank everyone who uh, tuned in to our fundraising uh, broadcast, which which lasted all weekend. Um uh, and especially to those of you who donated, um, you know, we were on, on listener donations. So thank you so much for your donations. I know I was in the phone, uh, in the, the phone room, uh, answering some of your calls, but if you, you are still interested in donating, you can of course find information on our website, wkcr.org. Um, right. So today, um, we have a great show. We have later, we're going to be hearing, um, some poetry reading as well as a preview at our, um, our uh, special hip-hop broadcast um, for the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. Uh, a lot to look forward to there. But uh, I do want to start with um, talking about um, some recent updates with the student protests um, on campus um, regarding uh, the, the, the conflict in Israel and Gaza. Um, specifically, um, last Friday, uh, the student groups, the student chapters of Students for Justice in Palestine and Jewish Voice for Peace were suspended by the university um, following a, a protest on last Thursday, um, uh, which they called an unauthorized uh, walkout. Um, so this is the group, these are the two groups that have been um, organizing a lot of events on campus um, to, to raise awareness and to protest the university's actions in, in um, Israel. Uh, they have both the university and um, student Jewish Voice for Peace and Students for Justice in Palestine were, were not reachable for, for a comment on this story. Um, uh, the, the, the Jewish Voice for Peace uh, organization, which is a larger organization than the chapter on Columbia's campus, um, did uh, release a statement um, which reads, quote, you can shut our organizations down, but can't stop our hearts from beating for liberation humanity, and the freedom of Palestine. Our actions will be louder than our words for all the people who are yearning for freedom and f for the media outlets keep an eye on Colombia, end quote. So that's from the Jewish Voice for Peace um, and Students for Justice in Palestine, which was a statement that they, they released. Now, um, I was able to talk to uh, Sarah Huddleston, who's the deputy editor um, for, for the university news section of the Columbia Spectator, um, which is the student newspaper here on campus. Um, so we had a, a great conversation about this. Um, Sarah's been involved with a lot of the steps along the way, uh, along the coverage of, of the story, um, and, and she wrote the breaking piece that uh, announced the suspension of Students for Justice in Palestine and Jewish Voice for Peace. Um, so I'm going to turn to that conversation now. I really do urge you, if you've, if you've heard some of the, 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 the coverage from national media, do listen to this this and um, hear um, a, from a student perspective. Uh, Sarah's going to talk about it um, in the interview, but it's 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 really important that we 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 hear and and take a look at at that angle and that perspective because um, it's it's an important one and um, it has a lot to offer. So this is my conversation with Sarah Huddleston. If you're interested in reading her piece as well as other coverage of 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 the the protests and more updates as we go along, do check out. Uh, the Columbia Daily Spectator. That's at um, ColumbiaSpectator.com, I, I believe. Let me check on that really quick. 
um, yeah, columbiaspectator.com. So you can find the piece and, and yeah, hope you enjoy. I'm here with Sarah Huddleston, who is the deputy editor for the university news section of the Columbia Spectator. Um, and you just wrote a piece most recently about this suspension of the Students for Justice in Palestine and the Jewish Voice for Peace. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm doing well. How are you, Josh? I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, I want to I want to talk a little bit about um, this this article that you wrote, but also just I mean, what's your involvement been with all of the recent protests on campus? Um, mm. I know it's been happening for gosh, yeah, about a month now. Yeah. Um, what's your involvement been? I would say my involvement's been pretty high. I'm one of five deputy news editors on our section, and of course we have two section heads as well. And we've been in really close communication throughout, you know, over this past, over over a month now, um, as well as just, you know, with other sections on Spectator too, just to make sure that we're, you know, really keeping our eyes and ears to the ground as to what's happening on campus. Um, right, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And um, for those of you who are listening, if you're interested in, in, in reading some of the Spectator's coverage, and there's been... Quite quite a lot of it. Um, you can find it at columbiaspectator.com, as well as the, the the article that we'll be talking about more more directly. Um, do you want to kind of talk a little bit about some of the contextual information, um, which kind of um, a lot of this came to the front from the the most recent protest, which was November 9th. Can you walk us a little bit through what what that was and and what it was kind of in reaction yeah, to? For sure. So. The Thursday walkout that's cited in the article was a part of a national movement called Shut It Down for Palestine. And so the Columbia chapters of Students for Justice in Palestine and Jewish Voice for Peace organized a walkout that day for 2 p.m. and led, you know, involved protesters to gather on low steps for what they call a peaceful protest art installation. We did a separate article on that as well. Actually, my um, co-author for the breaking piece on SJP and JVP suspension wrote the walkout story. So he, you know, had some sourcing there. Um, but, you know, SJP and JVP had previously held a walkout on October 25th. Of course, there was the big October 12th protest as well. That wasn't a walkout. And, you know, it was a planned protest that was announced pretty soon after October 7th. Um, so in terms of some events that were happening that kind of you know, spurred what happened on Friday, that some of that contextualized information. Mm-hmm. However, Gerald Rosberg's email specifically cited the Thursday walkout as what he called, like, the culminating event, quoting from his email specifically. Right. Um, yeah, so this this walkout on Thursday, November 9th, um, what specifically was the university's issue with, with that protest in, in particular? What was what were they citing as, as reasons for the, the suspension? Mm-hmm. To just pull directly from the language mm-hmm. of Gerald Rosberg's e- um, email that was then released on Columbia News as kind of a statement to the community, it was, quote, an, auth- an unauthorized event Thursday afternoon that proceeded despite warnings and included threatening rhetoric and intimidation. I think, end quote, I think what he was citing as a Columbia events policy that requires uh, recognized groups to notify event services of planned events at least 10 days in advance. However, according to SJP and JBP, 
as well as other groups on campus. The specifics of that policy were things that, you know, those groups were not made aware of. Um, but according to Rosberg himself, as he is the, you know, the sole signer of that email to mm-hmm. those groups, that's what he cited. Right. Um, something I'm interested in asking about is to what degree any of this is um, has happened before, if there's any precedent for this kind of enforcement of, of some of these university policies. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that in the past have have protests secured that kind of permission to 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 yeah. to gather on the space? Yeah, I would say you know I've read the event policy myself. I've also read the University Code of Conduct, just because it's been cited a lot in administrators' mm-hmm. statements to student groups. So I just wanted to be informed, you know, as a journalist and as a student of this university. Something that's was top of mind. Of course, there's always the 1968 protests that mm-hmm. happened on Columbia's campus. Um, but in our recent institutional memory, I'm currently a junior in Columbia College. And so my first year at Columbia, that first semester, was the graduate student strikes. Right. And so, of course, we all remember what was happening on campus then. Um, labor unions and la- unions in general are protected under the University Code of Conduct. They do not need to... Um, authorize picketing, right? If they're in active bargaining with the university, they are allowed to um, uh, picket and use space. So speaking kind of from what I know, this is a little bit unprecedented. And I think it's something to continue to look out for in terms of how the university responds to other groups on campus at this time. um, And what happens with organizing demonstrations, rallies, and protests moving forward. I'll just say, um, from what I personally know, this is, again, pretty unprecedented. Something that SJP and JVP, well, in this case, it was SJP, um, wrote on November 2nd in an Instagram post is that they were co- they were organizing a talk Um, And this is cited in the article as well as kind of contextual information. Um, SJP organized an event titled, quote, Let's Talk Palestine, um, that was co-sponsored by the Barnard Center for Research on Women, according to an SJP Instagram post. And that was with the Palestinian writer and poet uh, Mohammed El-Kurd. And according to that post, Barnard Events Management informed the center staff of the event's cancellation on November 1st, after previously confirming the event on October 30th. And they cited a policy that required events co-sponsored by non-Barnard organizations, which includes Columbia-affiliated individuals, in this case like SJP, for instance, Mm -hmm. to apply for approval at least five weeks prior to the scheduled programming. So we're kind of seeing a similar thing of um, the university citing events policies, right? right? So that event was canceled and we got a um, statement from a Barnard College spokesperson that said, um, that again, cited that improvement, event improvement process and said um, that, quote, when we were ma- made aware of an event that did not follow our approval process, we applied the policy. The college hosts many kinds of events and encourages a wide a- array of viewpoints to be expressed for vigorous debate and discussion, like, end quote. So I think it's something that's been top of mind recently, and it's a bit difficult because in our recent institutional memory, we haven't had to deal with events being canceled for these kinds of reasons. Right. And um, 
I'm also interested in asking um, these groups, student jo- uh, Students for Justice in Palestine and Jewish Voice for Peace, um, what to what degree are they affiliated with the university? Mm-hmm. Because I think I actually didn't realize before I read the article that they're, they're chapters of, of larger, larger organizations, um, mm-hmm. but they're also Columbia student organizations. So yes. um, how is that kind of balance bridged, I guess? Um, this is interesting because this is kind of my focus and kind of my beat mm-hmm. on Spectator are the student governing, bo- uh, are the governing boards, right? Of mm-hmm. which there are six. So the governing boards are six governing bodies that oversee and financially support um, all recognized student organizations. So if you're a student group that is getting Columbia funding and can use Columbia space, then you are recognized by one of the governing boards. And so um, some big ones are like the Activities Board at Columbia oversees about over 150 student groups, so the largest governing board. They oversee like the cultural groups on campus, as well as like performance, music, etc. SJP and JVP were recognized under the student governing board. Um, the student governing board oversees religious and politically affiliated groups, as well as um, some other areas of student life. So for example, the Columbia Queer Alliance is recognized under the student governing board. And so typically the governing boards have jurisdiction to recognize and de-recognize groups. Mm-hmm. And so when we were kind of when we were made aware of SJP and JPP suspension, that's something that I wanted to do my due, dil- due diligence about as a reporter to ensure that we know who was suspending these groups and you know their previous Columbia affiliation. It was not the student governing board. They were actually in you know previous conversations with university life to mediate the situation and find a way to avoid de-recognition and it was you know the university itself that suspended those groups right um and now looking i guess forward um what does this suspension mean for these student groups um i think they in the article um or in in the the message um from roseburg there's some talk of when the the suspension might be lifted Mm -hmm. um and I think that's another question on a lot of people's minds. Um, do, you, do you know anything about um, what, what is expected to happen next for that group? Unfortunately, I don't think I can speak on the future for these groups. I think it's kind of under their decision right mm-hmm. now. And again, this is pretty unprecedented. I can't really think of something that I know of groups being suspended and then having to undergo a process to be re-recognized by the university you know as stated in the first paragraph for the lead of the article again essentially what this means in the present moment is that JV, jvp and sjp are uh, will not be able to receive university funding uh nor holds they like lost their eligibility to hold events on campus that goes back to the kind of governing board mm-hmm. um issue that's why groups elect to be recognized, right, is so they can get um, financial support, mainly in book events through the university. So thinking about next steps for SJP and JVP, I'm not personally sure. I haven't, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know anything that I can really speak on right now, but that, you know, there are groups that are not recognized by the university that can still have a presence. It just looks different than mm-hmm. recognized groups. Right. Um, yeah. 
Can I ask, do we know, was, were either groups getting university funding or was it really the permission to, to protest that, that mm-hmm. they were securing from, from the governing board? I'm not too sure. Um, I think the last student governing board allocation that's been publicized is from just a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I know they got an allocation. However, I do, I do not know how that allocation was spent. And I do not know if they've spent any portion of that allocation this semester. Okay. Um, I Moving on from the kind of specific um, recent suspension, um, which I'm sure will continue to yeah. be, be dealt with as we're moving forward, but also just more broadly, um, you know, since you've been a part of a lot of these stories, what's what's been the character of the university's response to protests and and also the c- calls for campus safety? Mm-hmm. Um, I know because I've gotten a lot of emails from, from the university that um, they've created things like task forces. Um, can you just talk a little bit about um, some of the other things that the university has been doing in response to, to the, the campus climate? Of course. Um and so, as you you know just mentioned, there has been many emails sent out by university administrators. It's gone to the point that I could probably recall them by the date they were sent. So the first email was the October ninth email sent by University President Manu Shafiq, and then many, basically too many emails to count were yeah. sent out after that, right? Um, in terms of the character of the university response, like you said, there have been many task force task forces announced by the university, some resource groups, working groups. I know that the School of International and Public Affairs announced an anti-hate task force today um, that we will be doing further reporting on. And of course, Multicultural Affairs created a biased response form as well for students to kind of have a designated channel to report any instances of harassment, threats, intimidation, et cetera, through that channel. I worked on a piece with my direct editor, one of our section editors, Isha Karam, and one of our other deputy editors, Serena Teaser, were on the safety of pro-Palestinian affiliates on campus. It was, you know, we spoke to over a dozen students about what they faced and according to those conversations and those interviews, there's been a lot of dissatisfaction with the university's response. And I think we can see that as well in the open letters that have been sent out mm-hmm. and have garnered you know, over hundreds of signatures from students expressing or condemning explicitly the sentiments and statements in those emails. You know, we both come from the perspective of we're all students. Like, I'm a student journalist. I live and I take classes on and I'm just a part of this campus. And, you know, it's my duty to report on it in the most unbiased way to reduce harm and, you know, seek and report truth. And, yeah, speaking to students as a student, you kind of gain that perspective and you get to, you know, hear about what students specifically are dissatisfied by right yeah um yeah and there's just there's just so many moving pieces to 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 all of this um uh we haven't even talked about uh the the truck that was going around campus and and um yeah i really do encourage if if you're you're not as in tune with 
with the the events on Columbia's campus, as well as if you're only, you know, following from kind of the national media perspective, you can you can you can gain um, some things from from checking out the Spectator's website, as well as um, WKCR also um, has done a few little little um, coverage pieces on on the the protests. Um, yeah, moving forward, I guess um, you know. Uh, it's a tough job being a, a student journalist at this time. Um, what's the what's spectators? I guess current um, you know intentions with with moving forward. Um, as I think we're kind of entering something that I don't think anyone's really sure what to expect yeah. or what to what to to feel. It's very unprecedented at this right. moment. I mean, this has all been incredibly unprecedented. Right. Um, I can't say in like in the history of Columbia as an institution nor the history of Spectator as like an independent news organization on campus. But in terms of all the editors on staff, we've been, you know, building as we've been reporting. And, you know, it's difficult, again, to balance your perspective as a student, as someone who has a stake in what's going on on campus right now with your reporting as a journalist and trying to kind of do the impossible task of good journalism, which I'm sure is something that you can relate to as well. Um, But I think that that personal stake means that, of course, we have something to lose, but it means that, and I will speak for our reporters on our section, I think our reporters have done an incredible job of being there. And I think that's something that's really unique to Spectator and, you know, why I think personally that our journalism and our reporting is as close to the truth of the matter as we can get it. Because our journalists are able to be there. If there's a sit-in at the School of Social Work, mm-hmm. our reporters are there. If there's a walkout or a protest or a demonstration, our reporters are there. And that firsthand experience informs our reporting in ways that allow other students to feel like they were also there, right? Mm-hmm. So especially for the sit-ins at the School of International Public Affairs and the School of Social Work, and that's it in the School of Social Work lasted almost 10 hours. You know, they, it was, you know, Rosberg was there as well. And, you know, I would encourage reading that article if you want to hear about what actually happened there. And same thing with our reporting on the SEPA sit-in as well. Um, it's just something that I feel proud to contribute to. And we're looking for ways to deepen our coverage moving forward, right? To move beyond just the event and start examining everything that's going on behind the scenes as well. And again, like you were saying, it's unprecedented and, you know, we're figuring it out how to do it as we all have midterms and finals and papers right. and exams rolling up. But, you know, I think we all feel very passionately about the work that we do and we want to do it and I think that's that allows our reporting to be strong 
Right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, the student journalism, um, it's really important to, to, to stay tuned and to, to follow. There's, you know, it seems like there's a million things happening and that's not even getting into the being a student at college. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, thanks for joining me today. And um, yeah. Thank you for having me. Once again, thank you to Sarah. Um, it was great to talk talk to her about, um, yeah, just how um, how much has happened, um, and I hope that was clarifying to some of you listening um, to hear from a student perspective um, what it's like to be at Columbia. Um, yeah, so again, you can find plenty of information on the Spectator's website, ColumbiaSpectator.com. Um, yeah. It's now um, 8.59 a.m. here in New York City. You're listening to WKCR-FM and WKCR-HD. That's 89.9 on the dial here in New York City, as well as WKCR.org online. My name is Josh Kazali. I'm your host for Monday Morningside. Um, And I want to turn now to to the next um, segment I have, which is a conversation with Renee Morales, who is a a junior at Columbia and a poet. Um, I've known Renee, I think, um, since we were uh, first years here at Columbia. Um, yeah, and I think her poetry is great. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to introduce this segment. Um, we're going to be talking, um, she's going to read two of her, her um, more recent works, um, as well as we're going to talk about um, all sorts of things from um, the way she writes to to Meg Ryan. Um, so it's, it's, it's a good conversation. I will say, um, to those of you listening, um, some of Renee's poetry does d- deal with mature themes, so if you might be sensitive to, to something like that, um, uh, maybe consider um, not listening to this next segment. Um, but to those of you um, who are, I do encourage you to, to check it out. It's a good segment. Um, uh, this is my conversation with Mar- Renee Morales. I'm here with Renee Morales, who is a poet and a student at Columbia. Um, how are you doing today, Renee? I'm doing good. It's one of those days, but yeah. I'm I'm good. I'm working. I'm writing. It's a good day. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's fall here. Are you enjoying enjoying the fall? Not really. I <laughs> <laughs> I really hate the cold. I'm very like I have really polarizing opinions about the weather, so. I really, really, really don't like the cold. I was actually really happy those first weeks in September, but um, it's okay. Like, I'll get through it, and yeah. then I'll go home <laughs> in the winter, and then I'll go to the beach at home, and it'll be fine. Right. Um, you're from Miami, you said. Yes, Miami, Florida. Yeah. Um, I think I I saw that in one of your your poems. How do you feel like New York, Miami is a pretty abrupt shift? Do you feel do you feel like a New York New Yorker yet? Uh, I wouldn't say that I feel like a New Yorker. I mean, like, it's it's kind of nice being away from home just because I'm from Hialeah, Florida. So very, um, mo- like, mostly Cuban people live there. And as much as, like, I lo- I'm also Cuban, as much as I love, like, being in community, it's nice to kind of step away. It makes you, like, appreciate home more. So it's nice to be gone and it's nice to be a little more independent because, like, at home I don't have a car. I don't have mm. ways of transporting myself. So it's nice to feel like a real person here. But at the same time, it's like once it hits winter, 
or fall even like once it's colder <laughs> once it's colder than like 50 degrees 55 degrees i'm like okay i'm over this let's scrap right. it i'm ready to go home but no i love new york i love both i don't have yeah. i could never pick i mean like home is home but new york is amazing right i mean as as a poet i mean there's there's so much to work with i feel like with with um with new york was is yeah. that ex- do you feel like it factors into your work at all it's funny because it's like I read for Cordo, which mm-hmm. is one of the lit mags, and we get a lot of student work talking or, or thinking about living in New York now. Right. And a lot of the times it's really beautiful, like exp- reading about students thinking about being in this new city and we all have the same things that we share. We all go to Hungarian, we all sit on the steps, we all know these little landmarks near or on campus. But sometimes it can be a bit like, oh, we're all living the same life. So I try not to write too much in that vein of the New York that everyone recognizes. Not because I'm trying to be different in any way, but just because I'm like, I know what it's like to read this. And I want what I'm saying to be very specifically myself. And I don't, as much as I live what everyone else is also living, we each live it kind of uniquely. So I think I'm always trying to find what's the unique bit about it. Right. Yeah, that's that's the other side of New York is that there's just so much. I mean, it's been like, you know people have written a million poems about yeah. uh, about New York yeah. so it's 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 easy to, to to slip into cliche um yeah well I wanted to to talk about your work but first maybe we should do a reading do you want to introduce this first poem that we're you're going to be reading it's called how difficult to trust a pillow case is really is a pillow really for a pillow yeah really for a pillow. okay so I have I'm in since because I'm the um in the creative writing major we have to do workshops and I'm in a creative writing workshop, a creative writing poetry workshop this semester. And things have gotten scrambled in the sense of when we submit. So I've had to submit a lot more often than I expected to, which means I have to like write a new poem each week. So this mm-hmm. has been the most this is the most recent one I've written for workshop. And I think I got it workshopped last week. And it's it's kind of weird and I don't really have an answer for why it is. Just that I've been in this mood of liking really skinny poems and really impulsive Mm. poems. And I think that's kind of what this is. And I think it's also a poem about writing poems, or at least I think or I want it to be about that. But at the same time, like, it doesn't actually matter what it's about or what I want it to be about because it's just going to be its own thing once it's already written. And I think it's just a reflection of the mindset I've been in recently. So, yeah, that's this one. Awesome. Okay, so um, this is going to be... How difficult to trust a pillowcase is really for a pillow. Um, new, unpublished work from Renee Morales. Yes. Very exciting. How difficult to trust a pillowcase is really for a pillow. Yes, yes. You said, my lip quivering against a glass. How a mirror quivers in delight at the image of its owner loving their image else where else might I wander. Is anxious, and that's always been my favorite part. When you walk so hard, the skin comes off with the soul, but you thank the ground anyway for becoming. To Sunset Park. To the hands cupping poles till ankles break themselves to the understanding, the poem approximating touch is ultimately touch approximating the poem to the I won't apologize. I've always wanted to be the kind of accidental that urges strangers to make gravestones for street rabbits. To the semicolon yearning for itself immeasurably in the climax of a rom-com. Tell you this. 
Shout out Meg Ryan. I too was once afraid of Anne's. A little girl with bent knees at midnight, knockers knocking her temple scalp. Tender and wet, hiding behind a wooden frame in the gap between her teeth, a request. Stop interfering when we girl dance. So what? My poems do all look the same. I do resemble Meg Ryan when it's winter, and all my brown wraps around the thread of the bedsheet like chalk outline at a crime scene, hair once the color of oil, devastated, my teeth, the delicate underside of the rabbit, mold, not tooth rot. I lie the way a snake slivers quiet. I have a gun too, you know. Held near the breast, I know, when I am 26, you will strike me down with a kind of mourning called pen. This earth I cherish, sticky with blood, urge, the most difficult part of loving, always trying to remember I look myself in your mirror, admit my face is my face, is the violence of absolution, is you, shout out you, to absolution as absolute. Okay, thank you so much for that reading. That was brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I I really like this poem. I um, and I liked that that you said about skinny poem. Um, mm-hmm. Have you always like written in that in that way? I guess I'm asking. Like, when did you start writing poetry? I guess. Uh, when did I start writing poetry ever? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. We gotta go back. <laughs> um, I think I've been. This is gonna sound super corny, but I think I've been writing for forever. But then it wasn't until some point in high school that I realized poems could are actually more therapeutic than other kinds of writing for me, I mm. guess. And I realized, again, sometime in high school that poems can not be as restrictive as I've been as I've been taught that they are, which I guess is where like the English major comes in, where I'm kind of upset with the way poetry is taught, because I think the way at least in grade school poetry is taught it kind of turns you off from poetry Hmm. and in writing poetry i've actually realized it's much more freeing as a form than i've been told it is so i think i've been writing poetry since like formal poetry maybe since high school Mm -hmm. writing period maybe since i was some point in elementary school i was like writing like fake (laughs) stories and stuff just anything but um the skinny poem is a recent um endeavor i think this summer is when i was thinking maybe let me stop trying to be gimmicky with form and let me just let it be very organically itself and i like really dramatic enjambment hmm. i like being like cut off or the breath being really uneven so i think that's why i've been very attracted to the skinny poem because it kind of forces you to interrupt the sentence or the phrase repeatedly and think about the last word on the line a lot more than if you were to just finish the sentence in one go. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, if you're listening to this, um, you know, definitely seek out some of the, the poetry as it's written, because, you know, when you're looking at it, it is really thin and you're doing a lot of interesting things with the, with the form. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess. When did you start kind of like breaking those those syntactical rules? Has that always been like something that you're interested in? Yes, absolutely. I think reading a lot of contemporary poets, I'm trying to think of people, but my mind is like completely gone. But I've been, I just finished a book by Philip B. Williams, Mutiny. That one doesn't really play with grammar in any way, but I think it's really interesting what he's able to do in terms of dramatizing individual words. So Mm -hmm. I think when I read 
contemporary poets I mean reading just reading informs what you're going to write a lot more than if you don't if you aren't reading what people are writing now and I think I learned like those are my teachers the people writing now and they tell me they show me what's possible with language I guess and one of my favorite poets Tiana Clark I really enjoy how violent her poems are without necessarily being graphic or what's the word um necessarily bloody or indulgent in physical violence but still violent with language and I think when you deny like English grammar conventions it is kind of violent because you your brain like wants to finish the sentence or understand the sentence using those cues it wants the period and the comma to be where they're supposed to be but then what is your experience of reading it when you're not allowed to do that or when it's telling you to do something different and I think that's really fun I have some other poems where I'm a lot more interested in absence or like words missing Hmm. and what that kind of does an experience like archive work in the poem and I think being forced to deal with being denied something is a really cool experience and I enjoy reading it so I want to try making someone else feel that way right yeah absolutely um and on that kind of note you know when you're writing these are you kind of doing that sort of self-conscious work as you're going like I mean how because, you know, when I'm reading it, it feels very kind of free, um, almost like stream of consciousness. But um, when you're writing it, I mean, how 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 does that process really look like for you? I think my I'm not good at having a process. I kind mm. of write very impulsively, like my notes app is just phrases. And I'll think of a phrase or an image. I think this one I was really into. I had just watched a Meg Ryan movie or I had just rewatched when Harry met Sally right. and then I was in the mood for like, cause it's fall in New York. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, you got it. You, you got to rewatch. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, Oh yes. So I was like, I had Meg Ryan in my head and then I was just thinking about white women and I was like, I don't know the process of like writing poetry and romanticizing your life and being on the train and stuff like that. And I have the image and then I have image and then I have phrases to describe those images. Like I've, some of these lines that are in this poem I've had written since the summer, like, oh, really? The poem Approximating Touch is Ultimately Touch Approximating the Poem was because of a conversation I had with a friend over the summer about like what's the responsibility of the poem to physical touch Mm. or other lines like uh, make gravestones for street rabbits is really random but it was over the summer I thought it would be funny or interesting to mourn like um, roadkill like you don't really mourn roadkill it's super random what I write about is never like logical but that's okay but um, I think then it's a lot of like patchwork or collage as we're going to talk about later that like I have various images that by accident actually respond to each other in a lot of ways and I think I write in a mood as opposed to a topic Hmm. and I notice that like the different images are all responding to the same mood even if they have nothing to do with each other and yeah the in terms of breaking the logic of the grammar I think that happens in later drafts where I'll just have the phrase written out and I'll press enter when it feels right. I'm like, yeah, like, <laughs> let's do it here. Let's do it here. Let's do it here. And sometimes I'll have versions of the poem where it's like one or two words on a line. And then I have to go back and be like, okay, maybe this is a, a bit exaggerated. Right. And then go back, fix it. But um, it's not, it's never like, I want this comma to be here. Sometimes it is, but for the most part, right. it isn't. 
Right. It's it's not an exact science. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Well, I think we have time to do um, one more reading. Do you want to talk a little bit about this the second poem? Okay. Let me see. Let me revisit it. Okay. This one. Yes. So I had a workshop. Okay. So over the summer, I, all my friends are English or creative writing maj- majors for the most part. And so we realized that no shade to the creative writing department, but it felt like it's not enough. We wanted more from workshop. So summer came around and we just thought, why don't we do our own workshop? And so we just would meet on Zoom every Thursday and work on our pieces together. And then this is something that I submitted, quote unquote, to our informal workshop. And it was something that I think I've been thinking about for a while. This one's definitely about, like, or not about, but I was interested in archive and stuff. I was doing research over the summer. So that was what I was basically thinking about. What do you do when you can't find what's in the gap and how you make sense of that, what's in the gap? And then also, a lot of my poetry is interested in vulgarity, but also like eroticism and sensuality and the body and memory, the body and memory. So that's also a reflection of that as well. Not necessarily vulgar in the sense of lacking couth or class, but more so interested in what that experience kind of is I think very rarely am I thinking about one specific topic with an end goal but more so the experience of a poem because my time reading is much I I personally enjoy reading a poem that makes me feel I I remember better how a poem makes me feel than what it's about Hmm. and that's what makes me return to a poem is thinking wow that made me feel like I was like losing my mind and I kind of want to imitate that for someone else or whoever's going to read my poem so i think that's where this one was at cement pipes rarely incidentally placed crinkled clean like a styrofoam plate a boarding pass or a boarding pass whereas not to crave more than tender boy bird body thrust another thing again to body a bird there Paint leaking from a gap, you might too be surprised to discover this is how I undo her loving. Never knowing how to say urge, mimic I'm sorry's the way saturate forces teeth into snarl, I grr until she orgasms. A first meet. Return to a river where is not to crave more than breast clean inside my mouth. Is red hair pirouetting on a lake pier, Fleshy thigh squishing against a bedpost. I've always wanted a dog. So alas, the noise comes. Discreetly like a suckle and I disguise that well as music. Spit into a glass hand and I too come thinking about music. Thinking about chest fitting ripe against chest, her tongue. Thinking about a boy, thinking about Renee in parenthetical. On your stomach, not thinking about Renee at all. Once arousement meets old fine ass, a woman dies clean. Say you find me, whispering the wrong name for a feast. Apologize to necessitate. As a bird feather curls on my lip like cinnamon. How my aunt hands over a dachshund. Brown fur to bite for a luster. Spoon clink rough against ceramic. Jackfruit spiraling. Her glean ripe in the dead of winter. Her eyes, the first ever, to land on my body or skin for the tasting. 
Okay, thanks very much for that reading. Um, yeah, it's it's another really, it's like, got a lot of great stuff in there. <laughs> um, and I was interested in what you were talking about, about kind of vulgarity as like almost something kind of freeing, mm-hmm. is, if that if that makes sense. Um, yeah, and I, I really liked the, the jackfruit and the cinnamon, like the taste stuff in that as well. Um, I mean, I guess, how are you thinking about like senses and that sort of? Yeah. So on the page, I kind of was interested in enjamming cinnamon. So the, it says sin. And then, like, what that might do in terms of thinking about sexuality and sensuality and indulging and that kind of thing where it's, like, I'm really dramatic when it comes to desiring things. And I'm always feeling with my entire body. And I think when I want something, it doesn't even have to be a person. When I want an experience in the world, I'm thinking about it. I can feel it on the tips of my fingers or on my in my on my toes or in my knees and stuff like that and I think that dramatic feeling that urge that propels the body forward is definitely something that I like to explore when I write and I think that kind of drama I think the body is capable of so much drama just inside of itself is definitely something that I'm interested in and I think body to body not even just sexually but in the way you hug your friends, you hug people you care about, you hold hands, you sit next to someone on the bus and it's a hot day and your arms are kind of like sticky together. I think it's so interesting. And I don't know, I just, I think the way bodies interact without any words being said has a lot of, there's so many things said in the way you touch someone. And I think that's what my poems are trying to investigate or think about. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, speaking of bodies, I know you're working on this collage manifesto poem. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I know you're kind of in the middle of it, but... um. Yes, I'm working on this collage slash manifesto poetry interview thing as a final project for this class I'm in, Revolutions in the Caribbean, who are basically thinking about revolutionary action and revolutionary ideology. And I think being on campus now and being surrounded by so many artists of color and when i say of color i like to use like quotes because of color i think is a pretty loaded term in the sense what does that mean and who's part of it and who's excluded and i think that kind of discomfort in a phrase such as of color or multicultural or diverse is something that is interesting because usually i don't think it's the people in it ever categorizing themselves as that more so a white powerful like gaze looking down upon those people and categorizing them and I think rejecting that or seeing how people reject that by asserting their own identity and I don't even mean in terms of nationality or ethnicity Mm -hmm. or any type of categorizable way of asserting identity but just in the natural impulsive way of how does so-and-so define themselves by creating something is something that I'm interested in and I want to understand because I think there's a really violent way of intellectualizing art that ends up excluding a lot of people that it's meant to exclude and for the sake of diversity which I'm having trouble trying to parse through it in a way that's concise but I think you can learn a lot more about the process of art making and being creative by asking quote-unquote people of color what they like to do 
and how they like to be in the world and share themselves and pass time and it's not always it can be painting and writing and dancing but a lot of the times it can be in like crafty things like little hobbies people enjoying running people right. on their bikes people fixing things and i think it'd just be interesting to hear people talk about that because i don't think enough people do yeah right I, I i totally agree that's expression is something that's supposed to be expressive yes yes um awesome um well before we 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 cut off um where can people find your your work um yeah uh, um you could see my poems or read my poems on instagram at r dot morales poetry i think it is i'm pretty sure so yes at r dot morales poetry m-o-r-a-l-e-s and poetry and yeah i post my poems there when i feel like brave enough to post them <laughs> or if i have any footage of me reading poems i'll post them there as well but yes, that's where I do all my creative stuff. So if you want to see stuff there, you can check that page out. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks so much to Renee for talking to me and reading some of her work. Um, I have one more segment um, to, to talk about before we switch to serial music. Um, but thank you all for listening to Monday Morning Set. I appreciate it. Um, our last segment is a preview of the 50th anniversary hip hop broadcast, which is, um, starting this Wednesday, I believe. Um, so I'm going to, uh, turn now to my conversation with, with, um, McKenna, who's the head of the news, uh, of, sorry, the, the American music department, um, which is putting this on. So I hope you're all excited for tuning into that. Um, and let's hear about what you can expect from the broadcast this week. I'm here with McKenna Roberts, who is the American music head. How are you doing today, McKenna? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, we're here to talk about the 50th anniversary hip-hop special broadcast. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, so it's coming up um, beginning this Wednesday, November 15th, and we're going to be um, preempting all of our regular programming with hip-hop um, all day on the 15th, 16th, and 17th until the 18th um, at 8 a.m., um, it's going to be a really amazing um, feat. It's been kind of like months of planning and preparation have gone into this. Um, yeah. Between me and um, other programmers who you know program hip hop, other programmers who have never programmed hip hop at all at KCR, mm -hmm. um, it's going to be pretty amazing. Um, we have like some pretty well-researched um, themed shows going into it, which is not standard for any of our other special broadcasts. Right. Um, so I think that is going to be pretty unique. Um, and then starting um, every night of the festival um, during dark hours, which is um, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., um, we're going to be having live performers on air um, kind of as an homage to... Um, some of the ways that KCR has really made a name for itself um, in the world of hip-hop. Right. Um, so we're having a night of student programmers um, and then a night of kind of um, programmers from across New York City. Um, and then the other kind of significant thing about this is on Wednesday, we're going to only be playing Wu-Tang um, to honor um, the week after Wu Day. 
So we're going to mm. be having some pretty in-depth and well-researched Wu-Tang shows. I know that people are pretty passionate about what they're programming. Yeah. Um, and going to have some live interviews, um, archival interviews, um, with RZA, I believe, too, playing. So I think there's a lot in store for listeners um, and kind of scratching the surface of every aspect of the genre. So I'm pretty excited about it. Right. Yeah. So once again, this is from the 15th, which is this Wednesday, until 8 a.m., um, Saturday the 18th. Um, yeah, where did this begin for you? When did you start, I guess, getting involved with it? I mean, first of all, it's the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, which I learned through some of our programs. That's <laughs> an actual day that we can we can, we can can count. Yeah, so I think, like, I think the entire summer, um, different, like, radio stations and publications have been doing kind of, like, celebrations of 50 years of hip-hop, so we knew that we wanted to do something once we had more programmers back on campus um, to program something really special. Um, I know Dylan Farley did a special broadcast on Notes from Underground um, over the summer, but we wanted to do something big. Um, WKCR has a pretty long and storied history with um, hip-hop. We were the station that first aired um, Wu-Tang and some of the earliest MF Doom recordings, um, along with many other big names so um yeah i think it started kind of like in the end of september we were like okay we need to start figuring out how we're gonna do something huge um so it's been weeks and weeks of planning we have different um teams like on publicity and live teams we even have like a vibe team because we want this to be like (laughs) we want this to be memorable for people who aren't even programming um i think just like a really beautiful moment to build some community at the station um and we're also having um like ovid santoros coming back to program um and he was one of the first people to play hip-hop in new york radio airwaves at all so i think that's pretty exciting and um a really cool moment of like intergenerational just like fun and community building so yeah yeah i'm really excited yeah absolutely and i'm, I'm looking at the schedule as well and it looks like there's going to be some really um fun stuff there's like i'm saying like even like uk drill and then there's like <laughs> new york legends and all sorts of different genres how how is the how did you guys um chart out the um the different sections i guess yeah so um kind of a team of me and maria who's the program director here at kcr and ted who's a student life director um and dylan who's been one of our most like solid and consistent um hip-hop programmers and also our design director we kind of got together um and started throwing out some like pitch ideas um but then once we kind of got like a general sense of who was going to be interested in programming we kind of just had people send in like every single idea that they could possibly have mm-hmm. um and the really cool thing about this schedule and something that i think is unique about the broadcast is that um almost everybody is programming the show that was like their number one choice to mm. program so i think people are really gonna um i think are in store for a treat because people are um programming with what they're really passionate about um and something that they have like some kind of niche knowledge and um like in regards to hip-hop but it was definitely a little chaotic trying to figure out the schedule but i think we have it pretty down solid um and i'm excited for the live shows as well i think that's gonna be really fun and just like creative and kind of liberating and something that kcr doesn't normally do um three nights in a row of live shows so i'm really excited yeah that's so awesome is is there a place where people can find the schedule and and you know keep up to date with what to expect from the hip-hop podcast yeah Uh, yeah so on our instagram we have been kind of like putting out different um like 
publicity stuff about it, but we are going to um, release like the full lineup um, and times. And I'm sure that if you tune in throughout any part of the day, um, we're also going to be like reannouncing like what's up next, what we just listened to. Um, but definitely on our website at WKCR.org or on our Instagram, which is at WKCR, um, you can definitely follow along there. And also if you're interested to see more of like the behind the scenes, what students are doing uh, throughout the festival and like kind of what the vibes are at the station, you can also check out our um, campus Instagram, which is at WKCR on campus. Um, just kind of see more of like the raw uncut footage of just students like having fun and programming hip hop and it's gonna be a really good time yeah absolutely and and you're talking I mean um I think it's one of the coolest things about the station is how how large of a role we played back um back in those days what's it like for you as American head to be <laughs> kind of um in that lineage yeah it's definitely I feel like the pressure is on but it's also like just such a fun and exciting thing to like pay honor to like what KCR has done in the past and like the relationship between KCR and like the New York City hip-hop community at large um but then also like still trying to like carve new like relationships and kind of like mend some of the bonds that like maybe have like fallen off fallen off um in past years so I think this is gonna be like a really cool way um to do that and something that I'm really excited is happening while I'm like head of this department so um, I'm really looking forward to it um, and just really also looking forward to like highlighting a lot of the voices um, in hip-hop that are historically just kind of overlooked Um, Mm -hmm. we have like a whole show dedicated to queer hip-hop like queens of Mm. hip-hop and really making uh, an effort to highlight women in hip-hop just throughout the festival Um, so I think it's gonna be something really interesting and something that um, not a lot of people are doing but yeah awesome well I can't wait to listen and I'm sure everyone else can't wait to listen too Um, thanks for joining us yeah thank you